Kings chapter 5 or chapter 10 tonight as we continue through our Old Testament study um, in the book of the Kings. Um, now, last week we got to see the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, the Lord had, had, had spoken to the prophet Elijah um, after he had ran from Jezebel. And uh, after the Lord had revealed himself in the still small voice, he had reminded him to go back and to go up through the wilderness of Syria and, and to, to anoint Haziel, king of Syria, who, who, who wasn't even on the radar in that sense. And then that he was to go and to anoint Jehu to be king over the northern kingdom. And again, he was nobody at the time except somebody that followed after the king. And then he was so, supposed to go and anoint Elijah. And so there was three aspects to that prophecy that the Lord had given um, Elijah. And he only fulfilled one of those aspects when he anointed his successor, Elisha. And it would be through his successor, Elisha, that the other two would be fulfilled. And we've seen those in the last two chapters that we've covered. In chapter 8, Haziel became king over Syria. And it was Elisha who, who, who went up and basically... I mean, it was untraditional anointing him, but he told him, you're going to be the king. And then it was last week that we saw that that final one took place, where, where Elisha sends one of the young men to go anoint Jehu. And Jehu would, would be the king of Israel, and he would basically get, get the oil poured upon him, and none of the other kings had, had that happened to except for him. Now, the reason, and, and if you read the portion in First Kings chapter 19, where it says you're going to go do those things, as you know, anoint these people, and the, the people that Haziel doesn't kill, Jehu will kill. And the people who, 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 who Jehu doesn't kill, Elisha, or Elisha, yes, will kill. Now, it's interesting because we don't have any record that Elisha goes around killing people. And I think that the reason for that, that, he, that we don't see him kill anybody, is because Jehu does a really good job at killing. I mean, that, that guy is a beast when it comes to killing people. He killed everything and everybody on, in, in sight, you know. It was like shoot first or stab first and ask questions later kind of guy, you know. That guy was just gnarly. And, and, and even as we've seen the last two chapters that were a little, a little crazy, in, in the bloodshed that we have seen uh, with the killing that was going on, um, those two chapters pale in comparison to the craziness of this chapter tonight. And so I need to warn you that before we get started in 2 Kings chapter 10, that this chapter is not for the faint of heart, you know? Um, heads will roll in this chapter, and I, I don't mean that figuratively, I, I mean literally, heads are going to roll. And, and, and it's kind of interesting because it, when, when I come across chapters like this, you know, I often think, how would you teach this in Sunday school? 
because it gets pretty gruesome. This is probably one of those that you just kind of skip over. You really don't go into the detail or into the weeds with this. You don't get the coloring book out um, or, or the, the pages here. You know, it's like, here's your handout, little Johnny. It's like, why is he carrying a head? Ten heads, twenty heads. Oh, what's that pile? You know, and, and, it, and it's just like craziness because I, I look at these chapters and you think this here is reality. This is what life is. I, I, I know some people's like, oh, I can't see gory stuff. And I understand that. I'm the type that if, if it says graphic, you know, uh, like so on, on the news thing is like, don't watch as graphic. It's like click. You know, I want to see the graphic. I'm just that type of guy that it's like, if there's bloodshed, I want to see it. You know, for some reason, graphic content. No, like, be careful. It's a red click. Um, but this is, this is what the Old Testament is all about. Not all of it, but, you know, a lot of it. You see some of this craziness, and we've been seeing that. We've seen some of it. But I think this chapter is just like one of the tops when you, when you get down to it of all the, the slaughter that we're going to see tonight. And, and, yes, I will embellish some of it to gross you out. Um, but because I'm a guy, and I like that kind of stuff. And so, again, if you're a little scream, squeamish, squeamish, you know, I'll try to tone it down. But, hey, man, it's pretty gnarly. Chapter 10 of Second Kings, verse 1. It says, Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. And Jehu wrote and sent a letter to Samaria, to the rulers at Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's sons, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses and fortified cities also and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on your father's throne, and fight for your master's house. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? And he who was in charge of the house, and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Then he wrote a second letter to them, saying, If you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, uh, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel about this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, seventy persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So it was, when the letter came to them, that they took the king's sons and slaughtered seventy persons, put their heads in a baskets in baskets, and sent them to Jezreel. Then the messengers came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said to them, and he said, Lay them in two heaps in the, at the entrance of the gate until morning. 
Let's just camp there for a little bit. As we go back to, to verse 1, it, it tells us that, Jay, that uh, Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. And, and just like mostly all, all the other kings, they, most of them had multiple wives. And so because they had multiple wives, they had a plethora of kids all over the place. We, we get a picture here that he had at least or 70 sons. It doesn't mean that that's all he had with sons and everybody's going, that's the man. It's like, no, he had girls as well, but they just don't number the girls very often. And so here in this picture, we see that he had 70 sons throughout this whole place. Now, some commentators did say that, that this would include his grandsons, but I, I just don't see it that way. I just think he had a lot of sons. But it says that because of what has happened already, um, the, the Jehu coming into power, uh, taking over um, the kingship, he hasn't made it back to Syria. He, 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 he was in Ramath Gilead on the east side of the Jordan, and now he had made his way back up to Jezreel, which was about 20-some miles north of Samaria. And so from there, he sends a letter to the guys down in Samaria. And now that he is king, he wants to kind of challenge what's going on. Maybe he feels like he's an honorable man and saying, okay, I got anointed king, but nobody really gave it to me from the city there. And so if you guys want, get, get the best qualified of, of, of the sons there. Get the best one and, and make him king. And, and what we'll do, we'll fight for this, if that's fair. I just, I just think it's kind of interesting <laughs> because he, he kind of lets them know, listen, you guys have the advantage here. You, you guys have the walled cities. You guys have the horses and the chariots. Um, you have everything. You have all the weapons as well. Now, what, what those guys don't have is experience like he has. He is the commander of the army. And he's saying, hey, I, and I don't know what the ages of all the sons are, but I'm, I'm imagining there are some that are of fighting age. And so he sends letters to these guys to say, hey, pick one. Get yourself a king and we will fight and if you want Ahab's dynasty to continue, because again, Omri was actually Ahab's dad, and then there was Ahab, and then there was one of his sons that got killed, and then the other one, and now he, he is the one that Jehu has just killed recently. And so if you want Ahab's dynasty to continue, then get your best qualified and winner takes all. It's easy as that. And so this letter goes to the palace administrators, to the military leaders, and to the guardians or tutors of these young men. Because he had so many kids, so many young men, he needed help in raising them. And so there was people that were assigned to raising the king's sons to teach them all about being kings or following after their father. And so... He, uh, Eli, uh, Ahab had been dead for quite some time, and so they needed some help here. And so here they have the advantage, they have everything they need, but, but I, it, it doesn't seem like any of these administrators 
or, or these tutors, and, and again, there's some military leaders, it doesn't seem like they were very like men of war and wanted to fight here. Not like Jehu. <laughs> he was a commander of the army. And they also knew that he was pretty ruthless as well. And so it says in verse 4 that they were exceedingly afraid. Which means that they were overwhelmingly terrified, petrified, and horrified when they got this letter. To the point that they had been paralyzed. And, they, and, and because they were exceedingly afraid, they could not step up to this battle. And that's what happens when fear grips a person, some people that it just paralyzes you and it doesn't let you advance. Now again, I I understand the whole scenario that's going on here because I've read the story and I know what's happening and I know the prophecy that God has, has said that Jehu would be the one that comes in and kind of takes care of the situation. But these guys are giving up without a fight. It's almost because this fear, this overwhelming fear, even though they have everything behind them, they can't go fight this guy. Again, understanding that God's going to win in this. But this is what fear does in people's hearts. It paralyzes you. It terrifies and petrifies and horrifies you to where you can't move anymore. Now, now, again, when we're looking at this and we're looking at it in our lives, again, the Jehus in our lives that are threatening us, the things that are going on in our lives that we all of a sudden say, I can't, I can't move. I, I don't even want to put up a fight. I'll, ju- I'll just lay here. I'll just die here. I'll just become a slave to that fear. Because Jehu was so ruthless They had already seen that. They had already heard that he had killed these two kings. And and in their estimation, they're going, this guy has killed two kings and the queen mother (laughs) who was wicked. And he had no fear of her. Toss her down. I'll run her over to make sure that she's dead. And then I got to go eat because I'm hungry. He, he has no, no fear whatsoever. But yet he intimidates these guys in such a way that he says, hey, you can have it all. And it'll be just one-on-one. And they're going, no way, man. We can't fight you one-on-one. And so they're terrified. How can we stand against this guy? And so these guys, they write back to him and say, nope. We, we will be your servants and you can do to us whatever you want to us. We're, we're not going to set nobody up. I, I, again, understanding the whole scenario, the story, this is the kind of fear that he has instilled in them already. And the reputation, his reputation has gone before them. And so the, the city leaders here, and, and, and for that matter of the country, they rolled over like a well-trained dog <laughs> on command. They rolled over. They knew that they didn't have a chance against him. Even though they had everything at their disposal, they, Jehu never even had to fire a shot. They had given up. You just tell us what you want from us and we will do that. 
I, I think that for our lives as Christians, when, when, when we are outnumbered in this world, we have two choices. To just roll over and become a slave to the threats or the, the terror that's out there. Or we can stand and fight. Because as we just sang, if God is for us, who can be against us? And, and, and again, if we understand the whole scenario here, we know that they are in a losing battle. But I, I guess I just want to say, hey, are we that fearful that we will just roll over to anything and not stand up for anything? Because every day, our, our faith is going to be attacked. Every day, Satan will come after us to try to instill that fear so that we just roll over and not even put up a fight. And, and I want to encourage you, as Christians, we can't do that. He is on our side. It doesn't matter what, what it looks like in the physical around us, he, 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 we have this army that comes in as we saw a few chapters ago when, when Elisha was outnumbered and the servant's going, we're done. He says, no, go back out there and see what, what God's doing. And the ar- God's army just surrounded the other army. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if what Jehu was asking for when he says, take the heads of the men, your master's son, and come. Wouldn't it be interesting if he meant, bring the leaders with you, (laughs) the heads of the people. It's weird because I thought that as I'm reading that, as I'm kind of looking at that, what if he meant not the literal heads, take him off, but bring the heads with you, the leaders, and it's interesting because as, as I was reading one of the commentaries, he thought the same thing. It could be, it could be he meant the leaders, the heads of state. <laughs> and in chapter, or verse 8, where it says, So it was when the letter came to them that they took the sons, the king's sons, and slaughtered 70 of them and put the heads in the baskets and sent them to Jezreel. And when the messengers came, they told him that they had brought the, the heads. I'm wondering if Jay was going, oh, I'll meet with them right now. No, like, you got to come out here. <laughs> They're like, the heads. Oh, the heads of the men. Yes. Are we talking on the same wavelength here? Because again, it's like, there's 70 heads. Whose job is it? Because you know that there's somebody that has to cut the guy's head off. Whose job is it to pick them up and put them in baskets? How big are these baskets? It's, you know, it's believed that, that a person's head is anywhere from 10 to 20 pounds. It depends if you're a big head, cabezón. That's pretty heavy. That's 70 heads that somebody has to take care of and, and, and put in place. And, 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 and I say these things because this is how this whole play, this scene is playing out and this is real life. This is what happens. And it's interesting because, again, maybe 15, 20, 40 years ago, somebody getting beheaded, it's, it's like, man, it was so unheard of. It's so commonplace right now, even today. When, when you think about what ISIS and, and those kind of countries do, they, they cut people's heads off for no reason or for whatever reason. You, you, you see down in Mexico, the cartels, that's, that's a common place for them. That they just dismember people. And, and, and today, it's, it's that vivid. 
You know, as, I, as I'm looking at this, I'm going, well, back then, that was not an uncommon thing to do, to, to dismember people. But that's real life. Men lost their heads. And other men were the ones that cut them off. And yet others are the ones that picked them up and put them in baskets and carried them 25 miles. It was a bloody scene. But that's what we see throughout the Old Testament. We're going to see more of that today. It was just a bloody scene. And then, and then when they said, oh, the heads are here. He says, oh, pile them up in two, in two piles. You have 35 heads here. You have 35 heads there. And again, in my estimation, being one of those that wants to make sure everything is in order, you know, it's like, do you just toss them? Do you put them? Ha! It's like, again, my head is going through that. My mind is going through this today because I'm going, this is a scene that the kids were walking around. They saw that. That was normal. That's what these people were doing. That's how brutal life is. And, 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 and he doesn't candy coat it here. And that's why I'm thinking, how do you do that in a Sunday school class? How do, how do you explain, here's the reality of what life is, kids. Now I know you're going, Zeke, you would never say that to a kid. And, and you're right, age appropriate. Maybe teenagers, man, I could get really gory. But be that as it may, he does that. He piles these 35 heads on each side as a show of power and intimidation. And you don't want to cross Jehu because he's, he'll take your head. He'll ask for your head and somebody's going to do it. Because these guys had no problem doing that. Just because they now had become slaves to him, he says, you're really with me? Cut their heads off. <laughs> right now. They go and do that, and then listen to what happens on the next day in verse 9. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed these? Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he spoke by the servant, by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and his great men, and his close acquaintances, and his priests, until he left none remaining. He goes out there, and as he sees what's going on, and these people who have brought the heads, and those people, and, and maybe just the common people, because again, it was the leaders in that northern area, in, in Samaria, who had cut the guy's heads off. And, and so all these people are saying, are there, he, and, and he basically says, hey, you guys are righteous. You guys are innocent in this. You guys are just, lawful, and righteous. In, in government, in, in this cause, in conduct of character, and you're justified and vindicated by God because this is what he said would happen. And it's interesting because he says, you guys are innocent in, in this situation. They had done 
what God had said would happen. Now again, was it the way it was supposed to? I don't know. Jehu takes responsibility for conspiring against Joram. He says, I, I, I took his life. I killed him. But who killed these? And you're thinking, you did. You're the one that ordered this. But he, I wonder if he's thinking, I didn't think there would be serious. But who killed these? It wasn't the common people. It, it, was, it was those administrators and those relig- or, or, or those military guys or whoever it was that he wrote the letter to. They killed him. They killed all these, the sons. But the word of the Lord had already said, hey, this is going to happen. It's no joke when God says things are going to happen. He had given Ahab time and time again to repent, but he never did. And even when he humbled himself, he went right back to doing what he was, what he was doing, the wickedness. And so it's not like God was going, oh, I'm just so mad at these guys, I'm just going to whip them all out. No, he gives people time. He, even, even when his sons came into power, there was time for repentance. God had called Jehu to this. And he, he comes against the king and he takes responsibility for that. But when he says, but who has killed these guys? I'm sure the common people are going, we, we didn't do it. We just carried the, the heads and we piled them up as we were told to do. And he's going, okay, that, that's cool. And so he turns around in verse 11 and he kills the remaining, remainder of those who had been in, in Jezreel and the great men, these people that were the leaders, and any close acquaintance of his. And you're going, what? And even the priest, his priest, he killed. Huh. The Lord had said that Jehu would come on the scene and he would kill those who escaped the sword of Haziel. And nobody was escaping here. Nobody was. But this is where we begin to see in verse 11, because what happens up to verse 12, he was supposed to kill those who Jehu or or, um, Haziel had not killed. So he was going to kill them. He was ordered to. When we get to verse 11, he begins to abuse his power. Now it's his own crusade here that he's all about. Because these guys are, are, are leaders in, the, in, the, in that country. They're acquaintances and they're priests. They're not related to Ahab. But he begins to kill them as well. And, and, and this is what the Lord did not intend. But this is what happens when somebody begins to have power and begins to abuse that power. And this is where the danger comes in when the Lord places us, people, in situations where we're, we are now the ones who have authority to speak the truth in, in, in people's lives, who speak God's truth, but also are placed in, in areas of rebuke and admonishment and discipline in other people's lives. And this is where it becomes dangerous that, that we go beyond what God really intended for us. He gives us an avenue. He says, here, man, I've called you to this. And he did that with Jehu. I've called you to this, Jehu. And he's going, I'm just going to kill them all. I don't want anybody threatening my life. So I'm going to take care of all of them. Can you imagine the fear that fell upon the common people? It's like, 
Don't say anything bad about Jehu. That guy's a nut. And that's what he kind of wanted in their lives. But we need to be careful when God puts us in places of authority that we don't go beyond what he has intended for us to do. Because there are times that we not cut people's heads off, but we have to cut their heads off when they get out of line. Figuratively speaking. When you might have to confront an issue that you don't go overboard and say, give me their head. Tear their heads off. We're not called to tear people's heads off. And so in verse 12 to 14, it says, And he arose and departed and went to Samaria. On the way at Beth Aked of the shepherds, Jehu met the brothers of Ahaziah, the uh, king of uh, Judah, the southern, the southern kingdom, and said, Who are you? So they answered, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, Take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth Aked, 42 men, and left none of them. The, now, when he departed from there, he met Jehoiadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is towards your heart? And Je- Jeho- Jehonadab answered, It is, Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into the chariot. Then he said, Come with me, and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria, till he had destroyed them, according to the word of the Lord, which was spoken, which he spoke to Elijah. And so now that he is headed down from Jezreel, he is headed down to Samaria basically to claim the throne. And as he is going, he meets these people, these travelers, who have come down from Jerusalem to visit King Ahaziah. They, they don't know yet that he's already dead, that Jehu had killed them. They don't know that King Joram is dead. They don't know that the queen mother Jezebel is dead. They don't know that he is the man that killed them all. They don't know that. And that he is now in charge. And so when he finds out that he is King Ahaziah's relative, part of Ahab's family, and if you remember, King Ahaziah was Ahab's grandson now. And so it almost seemed logical to him that anybody related to Ahaziah belonged to the enemy. And so in his mind, he killed them all. Now, it it is quite possible that a lot of these men were not related by blood to Ahab. But he didn't ask that question. He just killed them. But it's interesting because now he is getting into the descendants of David because these guys are coming up from the south. 
And even though Ahaziah is the grandson of the king from the northern kingdom, these guys don't necessarily are, are related to him. They're related to David for sure. And now Jehu is attacking David's dynasty. And so he's in, he's in a bad place. And then he meets up as he continues after this killing. He continues and he meets Jehoadab. And, and he is the son of Rechab. And Rechab, uh, this guy's a, a, an ally of his. And they're coming, he's, he's coming to meet with him. And, and Jehoiadab, um, he, he is now, he is related to the Canaanites of the southernmost part of Israel. And he would be related to Moses' brother-in-law, that descendant, that tribe of people. And they, and they were with the tribe of, of Judah um, but but they, they kind of stayed to themselves. They were like nomads. They lived in tents and stuff like that. But they were highly respected. And so when this guy shows up, he's thinking, this is a man that could, that, that could help my reputation. He, he, here's a guy who could be second in command to me and, and, and make my crusade almost look credible. Because Je- Jehoadab is with me. And so he takes him and he says, hey, are you with me? And he says, hey, I'm with you. And so to bring him up into his own chariot, they, they, he was declaring that his heart and soul was behind this new king. And so he's going to go with them. They get to Syria and he kills everybody else who's remaining there. Doesn't give us a number, but it's another bloodshed. And he tells them, hey, come with me so you could see me and, and the zeal that I have for the Lord. I'm thinking, be careful when somebody has to tell you that they have the zeal of the Lord. It's better if you just see that in their life on a continual basis. But when somebody tells you, oh no, come and see how good of a Christian I am. It's like, run. It's like, no thank you, bro. I'm not hand in hand with you. Be careful. So verse 18, this word gets crazy. He thought it got crazy before. It's even crazier now. It says, Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceitfully or deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal come. So that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal. And the, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe. Bring the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehu and Jehoiadab the son of Rechab, Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only worshipers of Baal. 
So they went in to offer sacrifice and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and said to, and he said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escape, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it happened, as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guards uh, and to the captains, Go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. When the guards and the officers, then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into inner rooms, into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. And they broke down the sacred pillars of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. Now, Jehu had every right, (laughs) every right to get rid of the worshipers of Baal. He had every right. Now as he is king, he gets to set things in order, if you will. Now, according to the law of Moses, anybody that worshipped other gods or had others worship with him following him, they were to be put to death. So he had every right to put these guys to death. Now, he could have also talked to them and say, hey, you can leave the town quietly. (laughs) You can leave the land and take all your gods with you. He could have done that. He could have also um, destroyed the temple and they had nowhere to worship and then they would have left. He could have also tried to convert them if he wanted them maybe with a a sword hanging over their head, but that might have not been the best way to force them to be converted. But be that as it may, however he, he went about it, using deceit for the work of the Lord is not the way God wants things to be done for him or in his name. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, it is a clever idea. Because he is putting on a front that he is there to worship. Ahab, he worshiped Baal a little bit, which we know he, he worshiped a lot. He said, I'm going to do it way more. So he's convincing these people that he is on their side. And they're probably going, sweet. But he is deceiving them, which is not right. Even if they're worshipers of Baal, it wasn't right that he would use the name of the Lord to deceive other people. Deceit is wrong, and it's always wrong. Now, it's interesting because (laughs) at the end of the day, he destroys all these people. It doesn't tell us how many, but I can imagine it's hundreds. Again, I've I've read that the temple was a pretty big temple, and it was one of the main places of worship other than up north where the the, the other temples were at, uh, by, uh, by Tyre and stuff. And so it was a pretty big deal. And so he lets none of them escape and he kills them all and they're just throwing them out. Throwing these dead bodies. Again, can you imagine these guys? There's 80 of them that have to kill all these people. Can you imagine how tiring that might be? Whit, whit, whit. 
you know, again, it's like he has to go through this whole thing to kill these guys and then to throw them out. But at the end of the day, the sacred pillars are burned and tore down and the temple itself becomes a, a public toilet, if you will. It, it becomes a, a, a refuse dump to this day, it says. And he ended the worship of Baal in Israel. Now, even though Jehu went about it the wrong way, it just seemed like, well, they got rid of them. So was it right or wrong? No, it was wrong because God didn't ordain it that way. He had every right to go by the law and kill these people, but he doesn't do that. And again, this is what power begins to do to people when all of a sudden it becomes a personal vendetta on their part to hurt people, to get rid of them. To come against them. It says in verse 29, However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what was right in my sight and have done to the house of uh, Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. It's like Jehu. God commends or had ordained you, appointed you to do his work. Whether he did it right or wrong, God commends him. Now, guys, I don't understand God totally. I, I really don't. I wish I could tell you I totally understand him. But I don't get distraught when I read stories like this. I really don't. Maybe because I've read them so many times. I, I, I don't question God's motive. Man's motive? Absolutely. But not God's motive. Because he, he is going to take care of sin. He, he, he always does. And so when we read about what God does, I don't understand it. He sees the whole picture. He sees people, and that's why He destroys those people, but not those people. That's why He has mercy on the whom, whom He has mercy and, and, and curses those whom He curses. I don't understand that, but I accept it from God. But when it comes to man, and, and He gives them the authority to work on His behalf, oftentimes it's man who makes God look bad. <laughs> But he is never going to look bad. And, 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 and again, I have no problem with all these stories. God has a purpose. And he tells him, because you did what you were supposed to do, I'm going to give you a dynasty. Four more generations will, 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 will come in, in, in their place. But in Hosea, Hosea mentions the fact that God will pay back Jehu, for all the blood that he, he, he shed, the innocent blood, not because of the blood that he told them to shed, because he was appointed to that. But Hosea will say, God's, God's going to take care of the house of Jehu because of the innocent blood that he did. But in this, all this thing, 
Jehu did not turn away from the sins, the original sins of Jeroboam. When he made the golden calves and he set one in Bethel, which probably is where, or in Samaria, in that area where, where he was at, in Bethel on the southern side of, of the northern kingdom and way up north in Dan, there's another uh, place where they worshipped. He got rid of Baal, but he didn't get rid of the golden calves, the original sin that had brought the northern kingdom down. And it says that he took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God. I, I don't quite understand that. When, when, when God calls you for a purpose, and you don't do all you can to serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I don't understand. If he, if he has called you out of wherever he has called us from to serve him for his purpose, and we don't want to walk right before the Lord. Again, he's not talking that we, we be perfect. He's just saying be consistent in your walk because he takes no heed to walk after the Lord, and he did not depart from the original sins. He did a lot of good <laughs> in that sense, what he was supposed to do, but he never really let go of his sin. Continued in that. And then at the end here it says, In those days the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, and Haziel conquered them in all the territories of Israel. From Jordan eastward, in the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aurorer, which is by the the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did, and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And Jehoiahaz, his son, reigned in his place. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. Even though Jehu was a man of war, he began to lose some of the properties, some of the northern properties where Syria began to take ground. And, 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 and they took what was east of the Jordan River. If you remember Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, when, when it was time to come into the promised land, they said, no, 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 we like it on this side. Let us stay here, and we will take care of this area. And they were the first ones to be taken over. See, there, there, there's a deterioration that is happening here that is going to begin as they're losing more and more ground. Pretty soon, in, in a few chapters or hundred years, they will be taken captive because they're going to lose it all because of their sin, because of the original sin. It's interesting that, again, throughout this dark time in the northern kingdom, they never had a righteous king that truly walked with the Lord. Jehu would be so close, <laughs> but yet so far. To have to say, hey, no, I have the zeal for the Lord. It's like, but you never turned away Totally for the Lord. He never turned away from all your sin. He, he would have been one of the closest ones because his kids are going to follow after the other kings. 
And it would be their disobedience and their continual disobedience that would cause them to lose it all eventually. But God gave him time and time again. And we see his mercy even with Jehu, where he says, hey, I'll give you four generations. And in that four generations, they had every opportunity to repent, and they didn't. They continued on. What God has said will always come to pass, guys. And even as Christians, we will reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Guys, don't, do not get weary in doing well and doing good. Do not go back to your old sin. Do not go back to what the world tells you you ought to be doing because it will petrify you. It will paralyze you can't go back there guys we, we, we need to stay right in that place where he can hold us so we are so desperate for him so that we can continue to grow in him let's pray Jesus thank you so much for your word again Lord God even with the gory stories Lord God we see reality here Lord we see that, that because of the sin of the fathers these guys lost their heads <laughs> There was no repentance and your word came true, Lord. And again, Lord, I don't understand how you work. I don't understand your timing and I don't understand, Lord God, why you use some and you don't use others and why you use, why, why you do the things you do, Lord. I don't quite understand those things. But I trust, Lord God, that what I read in your word is true. And I see your mercy even through these stories, Lord. I see your patience, but I see your promises, Lord. I see the curses, and I see the blessings, Lord. I pray that we would learn from these stories, Lord. Your word tells us that you've given us these stories as as an example that we can learn from. And so, Lord, please help us not to turn back. Please help us, Lord, not to waver. Father, when you show us things, Lord God, that we would not go back to our original sins. Help us, O oh Lord. We, we need you desperately, Father. And so go with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.